need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where we go over every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order. Um, uh, what you can't see is what I just saw, which is Scott has just shown up on the, the, the video call and made quite the face. Uh, anyway, my name is Jeff. I've tipped my hand over there. That's Eric. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. And joining us this week is Scott from Budget Arcade. Hola. Hey, Scott. Welcome, man. Hey, man. It's finally good to uh, podcast with you. Yeah, well, this whole time, uh, I've never known what you looked like, so. Pretty scary, <laughs> huh? Everybody's got beards today. Right. That's what we're opting for. Um, so this, uh, we, of course, are going through all of Spielberg's films. We are deep into the catalog now, uh, firmly in the 2000s, where we watched Catch Me If You Can from 2002, starring Leo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, um, Amy Adams, who I've seen this movie several times, and I just never pinned that that was Amy Adams. Um, I think I think it just goes to show how long it's been, you know, since I've seen this movie because I've been pretty aware of Amy Adams and who she is for yeah. for like a while. I guess I I don't know, like Enchanted, maybe it was the first time that she really like flew onto my radar and stayed there. Uh, but I mean, definitely, you know, the Lois Lane stuff and Arrival, and I mean, she's, she's well, been a pretty well-known even, movie star for a while. And yeah, I had no idea which. Even <laughs> when I clocked her, I still was like, she just looks so different. I, and yeah, anyway, we got Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, uh, Elizabeth Banks makes an appearance, um, and that's about it. So Scott, I when I we started this podcast, I sent out a list of movies and said, hey. Who wants to be on one of these episodes? And Scott said, "Catch me if you can, please." And uh, so actually, I said why. quite a few others, but you know, yeah, that's... and I shut you down because you're trying to take over the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why catch me if you can? Uh, to be honest, I have loathed Leonardo DiCaprio since he appeared on Growing Pains way back in the day. I always thought, why did they add this idiot? to this show like it was perfect before and you know why did they jump the shark and add this moron and and i hated him and every single thing he has been in up until i watched this movie this movie single-handedly turned me around from hating and loathing leonardo dicaprio and not understanding why i did to actually enjoying him as an actor you know you know how everybody has that one actor that that they just hate with a passion but they don't know why that was DiCaprio for me for the longest time. Really? Oh, like even, mine would be. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Who, who's yours? Who's yours? Oh, uh, mine would be Susan Sarandon. Not Susan Sarandon. Sorry, wrong redhead. Um, uh, Julian. Man, I'm, Julian. Julian Moore is yours. Thank you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Julian Moore. And again, it's personally as an as her performing, not anything that she's done or anything. I just don't enjoy her acting. So, so Titanic is a no no fly zone for you, Scott. Like it was not- definitely a no fly zone, especially when it came out. I no kidding. I, I could probably watch it now, but it's just like I never really had the uh, urge to watch it because of DiCaprio. Wow. What about Gilbert Grape? You ever see Gilbert Grape? I did, and this was. I'm pretty sure I saw it after I watched Cast Me If You Can, and I okay. actually enjoyed Gilbert Grape. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. 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 So who, yeah. who's your, your actor that can do no wrong in your eyes? Oh, well, first off, Eric, who's your actor that you just unreasonably hate for no real reason? You know, I always struggle with these because they're, I, I don't know, there isn't You really, don't have a, yeah, a I, Julianne Moore. I don't have a Julianne Moore and I don't have like a favorite either. And it, it's weird because every time this question comes up, like who, who my favorite is, uh, for whatever reason, Brad Pitt always pops into my head. And I'm then not I'm not like a super big Brad Pitt fan, but I do feel like his movies are pretty reliable. You know, like like I, like, I you go to see a be, Tom Cruise movie. Same. Yeah, like you're going to get you're going to have yeah. a good time, right? And and that's kind of how I feel about Brad Pitt too. He's like pretty reliable. He makes good choices. The movies are are usually pretty good. Um but I I'm not like a gung-ho, you know, I 
I think we've discussed this before. Like I have, di- yeah. I have directors. I have the Guillermo del Toros and the and the Spielbergs and you know, like certain directors, Jordan Peele and so on. That I'm going to make a point of getting out to see their stuff. You, Wes Craven used to be on the list. Shyamalan, Shyamalan, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but for for actual actors, nah, yeah, whatever. You know, like the people have good days and bad days, and and so much about actors' performances rely on so many moving pieces besides their own performances that. You know, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I have anyone I can say can do no wrong because even like I love Jim Carrey, but he certainly has some trash out there. Um, but I, I'm a big Kate Winslet fan. I think she just no matter what she's in, she's going to be the best thing about it. Going back to Titanic and probably why she's on my brain right now because Leo. But I just feel like she's going to nail whatever she, you give her yeah. you know and she's going to be the best thing about whatever movie she's in yeah there are some people who are kind of reliable like Saoirse Ronan is another one like she's a younger uh, performer but like I'll, I'll watch anything she's in because she's usually pretty reliable same thing like makes good choices really solid picks um Elle Fanning is another one you know like she she's very particular about the things that she's in and so like I it's more rather than in, enjoying her performances i more trust her taste you know and yeah. that's that's kind of where and I van damme right of course <laughs> yeah, of yeah course van, van damme. Damme. so what about you scott scott uh, yeah uh, i'm curious about a lot of things go ahead and talk about your favorites but then i want to talk about why this redeemed dicaprio for you too bruce campbell can do no wrong in my eyes <laughs> oh his films can do wrong oh Have you, no i know okay. but his you know y- you go in expecting it to be a yeah. bad movie no matter what yeah. <laughs> so um, what about this movie uh, kind of brought you around on DiCaprio? Um, I think it was really just the character and how well he played it. Like you you get a sense that, you know, in the beginning he is in turmoil because of what his parents are going through and he loves his parents. Like you can tell that even though they're going through a divorce that the parents like love him and he loves his parents like you're there's no like you don't see any underlying abuse or anything like that it's just just pure love between them and you you get that from DiCaprio as he's acting this character but you also like you get the intelligence of the character because of how he's portraying the character like is like phenomenal like his acting in it was so good for me that I was like okay Maybe I got to look at some more of his stuff and, and, and see what I think of him actually as an actor. I think this is the right movie for that, too, because he has to do so much, right? Yo, he's the yeah. innocent kid at the beginning. Then he's conning people. And then along those cons, like he has to pretend to be the teacher briefly in that one scene near the beginning. And oh, then that was hilarious, too. Being the FBI, you know, or a uh, Secret Service when he's almost gets busted in one of the best scenes of the film, and he's on, he's so he's an actor playing an actor at a lot of points. He's the guy being the dude playing the dude disguises another dude. Exactly. To quote another film. Um, yeah. So I think for sure this is if if you're going to introduce someone to Leo, uh, I think this is probably the best movie to do it because of the scope of what he has to do throughout the whole film. Yeah, you get to see his range so well in this movie, and it's not something I ever got to see because he always... I would say his early stuff, he was always pigeonholed into that uh, heartthrob character, like in the... Um, Oh, what was it? Uh, the Romeo and Juliet one and also Titanic. I think he was like pretty much typecast into those roles because of the quote unquote heartthrob that he kind of played on Growing Pains. And I just didn't like that about him. There are there are layers to this character, like like what Scott was saying, like like. Yeah, he's running around, he's conning people, he has this, like, preternatural sense of confidence, you know, where he's able to just, like, flip it on and and just go on the fly. But underneath all of that, there's still this lonely 17-year-old that keeps popping through. And and while he's running around, like, doing all these scams and making all this money and living this jet-set lifestyle and so on, he, uh, you know, like there's still this touch point of 
loneliness and sadness about his family that keeps like coming up at little moments throughout the movie, particularly of course, when he goes back to visit his dad, but, but also like just like some of the quieter moments when he's sitting there kind of by himself and, or and when he calls handwriting or when he calls handwriting, yeah. yeah, because he's, because he's lonely, you know? Um, so yeah, like, like it's definitely a very nuanced performance. Like it's great fun while he's, you know, running you know running the table on people running his con exactly and stuff yeah and, super super fun but it's not like all fun in games you know it's this isn't oceans 11 you know like it isn't one of these things where like oh look how great he is and look how he's getting over on everybody it it, it is but it's not only that you know like, right it's there's some heart here it's a balanced film he's dealing with divorce which hey what in a spielberg film what <sighs> um yeah <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous at this point, but I think actually for me, this is one of the better um, ones for that because he's constantly like, hey, how's mom doing? How, you know, like he's just in this other fantasy world where he's still communicating with, uh, you know, Christopher Walken is communicating with his, his ex-wife and all that stuff. So, um, which, you know, kid trying to get his parents back together is pretty pretty well-worn territory uh i will say after watching this that this is my favorite stephen Wa- uh christopher walken role i i think this is his best performance i've seen in a film really like of all the films of all uh, well, everything I, give me another one all of them i mean not, not that he's bad no, in you, this. you can't say like like he's no, not you're bad in this. i mean like, i just i don't know like did which you look... one comes to mind where you're like oh but what about did, like if i said okay did you look if at I a list my favorite leo <laughs> like, huh? did you no, look at I a want, list pick one <laughs> just, just, just one just to just max shrek i don't know like anybody like no like, incorrect the deer hunter he's, he's uh he, suicide king omen uh uh your father held this watch in his ass. Like, like there's so many. Like, it's there's so many. Yes, there's all of those, right? What's, and what's all the one of those that he are... played Hickey in? It's a gangster Hickey. movie. Yeah, it was a gangster movie. His character was named Hickey, and he was like the uh, the, Wasn't the killer. Was Suicide Kings? What was it? No, I think it was. Oh shoot, what was it? Anyways, but he he played the but... uh, pretty much the hired hitman that nobody wanted to mess with. If you called Hickey then that person was really in trouble because he was going to get the job done. Up. Yeah. No, but for it me, sounds familiar. Uh, so, okay. Like, I'm not saying that, that, no, by no means is this a bad performance. This is like, like a great Oscar caliber performance, but there's just so many out of Christopher Walken. Okay. Like, like to say, so let's say I haven't seen every Christopher Walken film. Now I've seen a lot of the ones you said, but of the ones I've seen, which is pretty significant, I think this is his best performance. I think he's um, he's suave at the beginning with his wife, confident, doing his con to get the suit loaned out for his friend, and then he slowly kind of just becomes depressed and loses his wife, and then he's got, my son just bought me a Cadillac, you know, and so many things that he does harp so hard on being Christopher Walken, you know, like he is his own meme, that I feel like in this movie, he's playing a character. There's when he's telling the story about when he met his wife and all that stuff and just the depression he goes through. I think it's just, it just even though he's not in the movie the whole time, I think he's just really awesome. And I think it's the best thing I can think of that he's done. He definitely. And until you can say, hey, what about this movie where he plays this role and I can go and compare it. But to just throw the whole catalog at me. No, I Joe mean, Dirt. It, obviously, it, Joe Dirt. <laughs> Joe Dirt. Yeah. Joe Dirt is his best one. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's obviously a very nuanced uh, performance. Right. And you're right. He does go through this kind of evolution where you can kind of see him giving up piece by piece this dream life that he had built himself you know like he has he has this story that he tells himself that he tells other people about himself about how he's the mouse who who turned the milk until it turned to butter and he crawled out of the pot instead of drowning and that like you can tell like that is mice that is really like the way he looks at himself this is the mythos that he has built up around himself about his life like he has these 
these myths about his life that he's built up, how he got his wife and, and he was the only one out of the, all the army guys there. And he was like, I'm going to take her home. And he did it cause he's the one, you know, and he's the mouse that did the thing. And, and then throughout the movie to slowly watch him give up piece by piece on the, the myth that he's built up around himself it is. It's kind of heartbreaking, you know, and, and like when he when he can't accept the Cadillac because he knows he's just going to get taken away by the IRS or, or it'll get him like looked at more seriously by the yeah. IRS. And then, oh, now, you know, he has to admit like he's a mailman because he took a job. And uh, so. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is a great performance. And you can tell also how much he is uh, investing in his son's exploits, you know, like they, like he's kind of almost put the responsibility of living the dream on his son. And at one point his son comes to him and is like, tell me to stop. Like the, like I like almost asking permission from his dad to like stop yeah. running and, and hiding and, you know, doing all this stuff. And, and he's like, you can't stop. Like in, in a way, like you're awesome. Keep Where you going? going? <laughs> Where you going, Frank? Where you going? Yeah. And there's yeah. like a and mix of like there's jealousy two... and envy and respect and like, I think there's so much full things, right? There's, Hey, you're living the dream, but you're also sticking it to the banks, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> because his whole thing is like that, that opening con that Frank Abagnale senior does is trying to get a loan, you know, to save his business and to get the IRS off his back and the banks won't do it. He gets denied at all the banks. So now here Frank is stealing from all the banks, right? And or Frank Jr. And so Frank Sr. is like, get him, you know? And uh, you, I even think like beforehand he's okay with the cons because when Frank pretends to be his own teacher and he runs a class for several weeks, even going so far as to plan a field trip, when and his mom teacher is, conference <laughs> yeah and then his mom is upset with him and walks away doesn't even say a word and then christopher walker just gives him sort of a knowing smile and they both laugh and walk off together i would probably do the same like if 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 the teacher came to me with such a ridiculous thing your son taught the class for two weeks i would have a lot of questions none of them would be angry i i what happened? <laughs> like, how did what did he teach? <laughs> and I would blame the staff. I'd be like, you let this happen on your watch. How bad is your admin where my kid can teach your class for two weeks? That That is one of the a great moment in this movie. I, I knew a guy uh, in high school who had a dad like that, who was just kind of like, begrudgingly giggly respect when we would go pull dumb shit you know like he'd kind of he'd have to be a parent but then he'd kind of just be like, <laughs> like really? yeah <laughs> like, really you guys stole all that sod and sodded the parking lot of the high school <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, that's awesome <laughs> so yeah that was not that was not my parents they they uh did not have that scott and i once wrote a um a bad lib about my stepmom that we accidentally left out and got found and got us both in trouble by my dad. Oh, you guys who now later, since their divorce, thought it was the funniest thing he's ever seen. You guys go back you that know. far, huh? You guys go back like uh, we were eleven when we met. Oh, right, middle on. school, sixth yeah. grade, very fun. But uh, so um, I don't know how many people know the true story of Frank Abagnale, and like a lot of this is. I don't want to say true because it comes from his book and apparently the real Frank Abagnale Jr. is kind of a douche. Like, <laughs> seems like a douche. From what I understand. Yeah, like from everything I read, it's real conflicted over what's real and what's not. It's almost like at this point he's denied most of this, but the legend has grown to the point where like, it, like some, when you read like, what's true and catch me as you can, there are two different takes. Like yeah. the one take is, oh, well, he never really talked to his dad that much after he started his exploits. And, oh, you know, like they forgot that he was a professor at this school for a little while and taught a class, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And then there's the second take, which is like, none of this is true. He was in jail the entire time. 
like he never was in New Orleans. He never worked with the prosecutor's office. He never was a doctor. He he like he did a couple of flights and wrote checks for like fifteen hundred dollars. You know, and so like it's very conflicted over yeah. over what and then, you know, the real Abagnale is still running around giving like TED talks about, you know, like this stuff that he supposedly did. Even though at times in interviews, he's admitted that it's fabricated and exaggerated. So, like, it's a con man running a con about his con that he originally conned, which maybe wasn't a con. You know, like, it's impossible to get to the bottom. How do you ever trust him, right? Right. So, we get, I I don't know how deep into this we want to go. We'll kind of point out some classic scenes. And I think the one that stands out the most to me is when he's in the hotel and I think he's in Hollywood at that point. And so playing opposite of Frank Abagnale is a uh, handwriting played by Tom Hanks. How do you feel about his accent, guys? Fine. Fine. Just fine. Fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Like, there are people that have that accent. Like, it's it's Tom yeah. Hanks. I'm not going to rag on Tom Hanks' accent. <laughs> like, like his acting, you know, like I'm sure he studied it and practiced it and worked with the dialogue coach and it's as close to accurate as he could get it. There wasn't, Hanratty isn't based on a real dude. He's like a yeah. amalgamation of several dudes, but I think they said that there was one dude that he based the performance on and he spent some time with him uh, before the dude died. And that's where he got this accent from and kind of his patter and so on. Um, and so, yeah, it was fine. I don't know. I didn't think it was too distracting. What about you, Scott? Uh, it was all right. I mean, was he going for like a Boston yeah, I think accent so. or I, I really couldn't place what accent he was trying to do. And that made it a little weird. I just felt like we didn't need it, but I don't know. I guess that was just me. He's well, like, you guys do a good job. I'll get you a, a good humor bar. <laughs> what I didn't notice is that for the first time, there's a scene where you see the other two cops with their good, humor, the good bars. humor bar. <laughs> yeah. He came through yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. He, I like that. Um, and what do you think about his joke? Knock, knock. That's the part that gets me is like some of the writing almost feels like it's meant for him to show off the accent where it kind of is like cringe to me. You want to hear a joke? Knock, knock. Didn't bother me. Who's there? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, and I like what he does it to his boss. You know, he's like, hey, you want to hear a joke? Um, you know. It just <laughs> really good. Hanratty um, Hanratty's an interesting character. Um and I didn't pick up on this is a weird comparison to make, but have you guys ever seen this movie called Citizen X? It was an HBO movie, uh probably about twenty years ago, about this this Soviet detective who's looking for uh a serial killer, like a child killer in Soviet Russia. So like No, I have not. The idea is that nope, like it's a true story it. and it's about this guy who is like doggedly pursuing this serial killer for years, like years and years and years. And it's just this one guy working this one case. And of course, you know, it's the Soviet Union. So they're always like throwing blockers in his way and being a pain in the ass. But that's kind of what this reminded me of. Like this, this guy is on this case for years, you know, <laughs> he is chasing down this kid forever. And uh, I don't know, there's, there's something appealing to me about that, like, that nitty gritty dogged determination that he's going to like, just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it with, with the confidence to say the house always wins kid. Like I'm going to get you. You like it's, it's it's happening, you know? So uh, maybe make it better for yourself if you can, because you're going down, you know, with, with like not an ounce of self doubt. Like even when he gets, you know, the scene that you were going to talk about a few minutes ago, even when he gets well, let's get into it. fooled, yeah. you know, uh, by DiCaprio to that, pretending that he's a Secret Service officer, even then he's kind of like, oh, he got me, but I'm going to get him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It's- so the scene we're talking about is they pretty much track down Frank and Tom Hanks busts in and he goes, FBI or whatever. Stupid accent. And, um, uh, you know, confidently, Frank Abagnale comes out of the bathroom drying his hands and starts talking about all the scams and everything and just talks his way out of it as as comfortably and as confident as you like. And I think it's the scene for a lot of people, maybe even Scott, where it's like, oh, yeah, I like this. 
because it's it's that that charismatic confidence that just brings you right in. No, it was definitely the uh, him yeah. teaching class scene that that made. Like, I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna watch this movie yeah. and I'm gonna enjoy it. It is it's like he's so fast on his feet. You know, and you have to wonder, like, did he ever even have an inkling like, well, if they ever catch up to me, here's an option of a thing I could do. I could pretend to be a Secret Service agent. Or does that just pop into his head on the spot? You know, I think he's he's sitting on the can and he hears FBI and he's like, "Okay, this is what I got to do. You know, like it just (laughs) like I think he comes with it on the spot because the whole teacher thing he doesn't think about until. He realizes he's in a class with these bullies, you know, and then, you know, someone says, yeah, he looks like a teacher. And then he goes, OK, you know, and that's just. It was the bullies I mean. who like, said it. They, actually. They, they they say, hey, he, he yeah. does look like a teacher. And he just instantly is like, OK, I'm a teacher. And then he goes like he's had improv classes or something. I don't know. Very much it, it, like in both cases, it's kind of like a how can I turn the tables? Like, how can I turn the tables on this guy and, and, and one up them and and uh kind of kind of act as the superior person in this moment when I am clearly rocked back on my heels you know it, I, I I wish they had shown the bullies after everybody realized <laughs> yeah. he wasn't the teacher <laughs> that would have been good well Abig- like, Abignell, uh he subscribes to a, a theory of lies that I used to subscribe to when I was a kid which was go big or don't don't at all you know like yeah. if you're going to lie go like make it as big as you possibly can make it so audacious that people wouldn't even believe that it's a lie you know yeah and uh and it clearly works out for him quite well until eventually it doesn't you know yeah um but clearly the the in my mind the best scene in the film where he he gets away he's tricked him you know um so he runs into um, uh, as he's on the run, he, he decides to take other jobs because basically he keeps interviewing the, the head of, so he's pretending to be a pilot and he's f- flying for free all over the world. Uh, he's cashing checks that he's forged to look like he's getting paid from Pan Am because apparently I, I didn't know this and I don't know if it's true. Like the, the celebrity status that pilots get in this film, I'm wondering like in the fifties or whenever, is that something that was real? Like they were like almost astronaut levels of fame. Yeah. And I don't even think that astronauts had that level of fame. Like other than your, I believe so. Cause isn't there a movie called Pan Am that is yeah, about that And there was a TV show thing. with uh, Christina Ricci back in the day too. Around the time that Mad Men was really hitting, they made a movie about Pan Am pilots and uh, stewardesses or a TV show. I'm sorry about Pan Am pilots and stewardesses that, uh, you know, and it was all about like their crazy lifestyle and, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think they would think it was like, uh, it was back during the time when like cops got a modicum of respect too, for being cops. And, you know, like, I mean, they still do to an extent, but not like it was back then. There was like a status to the thing. And, and, and I think like pilots in particular were right up there with, you know, doctors and lawyers and, all the I all would, the other careers he goes after than that, status, right? You know? Because the kids are like, "Can I get your autograph?" I'm thinking astronauts is the closest I can come to where their their uh, mm-hmm. occupation just alone makes them worth being someone to know. Yeah, revered. Well, um, I mean, what are we talking here? Like late sixties. So how long has has like jumbo jet stuff been going on at that point? Ten years. You know, like like before that, it was yeah. prop planes and so on, and these guys are flying these giant ass things through the sky. So, I mean, yeah, I can see people who are impressed by it for a time. Now they're like, "Get out of my way! I'm trying Whatever. to get to Annie Ann's pretzels." You know, but <laughs> well, and they're underpaid and <laughs> yeah, you know, overworked. There's always going on strike and all this other stuff. So it's definitely not what it used to be. Uh, is there any profession today that you think of as just like, oh? I mean, outside of professional sports or anything where you're just automatically famous, is there a profession where someone says, I'm a da-da-da-da-da, where you go, hey. No, nobody has that level of respect anymore. I mean, I don't respect anybody. Like, I... Like maybe I'm like part of the problem or whatever. But like when I meet a doctor or so on, like I've worked with so many doctors and known so many doctors over the years 
I'm not impressed by you. Like you could be a big <laughs> dummy, you know? And I, I've got some really good friends that are lawyers and, you know, like, and that instantly takes, takes the wind out of being a lawyer. You know? <laughs> it's like, I know you, I know you, you know? So yeah. I'm not impressed by you as a group anymore, you know? And yeah, I just think that, I don't know. I don't think there's any careers that are that, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, like rocket scientists, maybe like, neurosurgeon like there there might be like some elevated sniper (laughs) no no see i deal with neurosurgeons and so does my wife and his like the thing is until you get to like when you get to know them (laughs) on a personal level then all that just like lets the air out of the balloon and it goes flying off you know like that's why i'm not impressed by cops anymore hey mark um go listen to the movie draft house wherever you get your podcasts um so yeah we're he now is moved to Atlanta at this point and he meets Amy Adams character who has a mouthful of braces and pigtails and to me was unrecognizable and only when I you know on the rewatch I when I saw her I'm thinking to myself oh it's Moaning Myrtle (laughs) from Harry Potter that's way off (laughs) afterwards once the braces Oh, I know, but once the braces came off, I was like, oh. She does, she looks like (laughs) a baby. Like, she looks so, she really does look like she's 16 years old in this movie. I have no idea how old she really was when they made this, but uh, she is so tiny looking uh, in this film. She was old enough to date Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, which means high school. Right? (laughs) Um, So this came out in 2002. She was born in 74, so she's well into her 20s. Yes. In this 28. Film. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. She's too young or too yeah, old then. She's past, too past, old her, past her prime for Leo. That, that was the Ricky Gervais joke at the Golden Globes where he's like, the Irishman was so long by the end of it, Leonardo DiCaprio's date was too old for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, that's one of the things I. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get into personals, but. um. So yeah, they get they get to dating and I think so this scene and this sequence takes place right after so one of the ways they mark time in this movie is Christmases. On Christmas, they always Frank Abagnale Jr. and Carl Hanready always touch base uh on the phone and it's Frank's always calling him and Carl realizes, "Oh, you're calling me cuz you don't have anybody. You're one of the loneliest people in the world." And I think this is where, for the character, that's when he's like, he starts to take an interest in Amy Adams' character. And I think he does legitimately love her and want to marry her and have someone with him. Yeah, I think so. It, I mean, like, the way the film presents their their love is weird because it's almost like Leonardo flips a switch in his head and is like, what can I do to help her out? I guess I'll just marry her and go help with her parents and so on. Uh, so yeah, I I I felt like the building of their relationship was a little weird, but you know maybe he did lash onto her on an emotional level after she you know talks about how she's estranged from her parents because she had an abortion and they threw her out and so on and so that forth. That they paid for. And, and maybe that's where that connection kind of came from like the whole idea of a, another broken family because he's so uh under under uh all of his bravado still so, like super obsessed with his own broken family so maybe he's thinking well maybe i can help her fix it and that's that's where his attachment to her comes from yeah and then he gets there and he sees martin sheen who's so intimidating <laughs> to me he's like the intimidating dad um and uh, but he sees that Martin Sheen has this great relationship with his wife and they get along great and they're still very much in love. And I think it and it reminds him of when his parents were happy and together. So uh, there's and then they're singing the song on the couch and, you know, uh, Martin Sheen pulls Amy Adams into his lap and is like. Fuck you, Martin Sheen. Home again. Fuck, you huh? Fuck that guy. Like, that guy's an asshole. Like, they oh, they, well, yeah. they let that character off the hook in a big way in this movie. Big time. Because he is an asshole, you know? Like, throwing his daughter out, you know, when she's, what, 16, 17 years old because she got pregnant. And then, you know, the next few scenes, 
he's gonna like let her back in because she shows up with the respectable man married a doctor yeah she's marrying yeah. a doctor so it's okay now let's all sing along with mitch fuck you buddy like like i'm <laughs> not into that at all like like yeah they could throw him off the roof for all i care i'm, I'm super no you are 100 percent correct because i was thinking i'm like they paid like i i got the feeling that they made her get the abortion and then kicked her out yes right that's the impression i that's got. the way she and portrayed it it's like so hypocritical of them um and i think it's purely martin sheen i think mama moms are different you know not all of them obviously but i feel like mom would you know bring her back in and they'd work through it but yeah i agree completely that Martin Sheen's character does get off the hook. Yeah, even the mom to a little easy. bit. Didn't she not... didn't didn't she even say though that it was a friend of the family's who did she the did. abortion? Yeah, yeah, somebody her dad yeah. plays golf and with. And they knew someone to do it. Yeah. Um, mom I mom just goes we, along we, with dad on this one. She's like one of those like old time When was Wade versus wives. Rose 70 something? Yeah, somewhere So in this there. would predate legal abortion. So yeah. So they yeah. Um anyway, yeah, he's an asshole like you said. Uh, but I think his performance is really good. <laughs> it is. Uh, he, he's properly intimidating dad figure. Um, but this is where it all kind of falls apart for Frank because the cops get there and he has to tell, you know, Amy Adams the truth that he's not Frank Abagnale or that he's not Frank Connors at this point. He's Frank Abagnale. And, you know, he goes on the run again and he's alone again. And this is where he sees his dad and tell me to stop. Tell me to stop. I like no. Go get him. I like that he's naive enough to think that maybe Amy Adams isn't going to roll over on him, right? Because the entire like her character isn't super sketched out really well in the movie, but for the most part, she's like a scared kid, right? Yeah. And, and to think for one second that she wasn't just going to like buckle under her dad's pressure, you know, and and cooperate with the FBI, uh, it's like nah, dude, like. <laughs> You don't know her very well, do you? Like, and he's at least smart enough to hang back and kind of observe the situation and make another one of his near miss getaways. But, uh, yeah, like I, I was, I was surprised that he even thought for a second that maybe she would, you know, stick to the plan that he outlined for her. And we get to what I think is kind of weird. Like, so they talk about they're at the Miami airport and this is the exit point. This is where he has to go. And one of the cops is like, why wouldn't he just get a car and drive? And I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't he just get a car and drive? Why does he have to go through the airport? That is so secure now. I, I think that it's because he's got this cat and mouse, uh, relationship with, with hand ratty. And he, it, it's the challenge. Like that's, that's how Hanratty lets him go at the end of the movie and says, I know you're going to come back because nobody's chasing you. You know, like yeah. at that point, their relationship has devolved into this, like, you know, Tom and Jerry situation where like, he's going to be Jerry and he's going to outsmart Tom, you know, and Hanratty knows it. They're both locked in this cycle. And, and so, Hanready is a hundred percent convinced and turns out to be right that he's going to come through that airport because he's going to show how he can, how he can outsmart Hanready. And then of course, sure enough, he does it and he's off for another year in Europe causing more mischief. Yeah. I loved, despite me not really thinking it was smart of him. I like the sequence of him putting on the contest, getting all the, the pretty girls in their flight attendants uniforms and walking them through the airport and all and him just being kind of in the middle of the pack and very much playing on the fact that all the cops are men and they've all got one thing on their mind and it works perfectly, you know, <laughs> and then he pays the guy to be in the car. He just outsmarts him. He's smarter than Hanratty. It just Hanratty only wins by attrition, right? Like it just at some point it's going to break down, but he's smarter than Hanratty. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Hanratty, Hanratty never lies to him, you know? Like, Hanratty is always super upfront, and so it's an interesting relationship where, the like, the one party lies, like, 95% of the time. Sometimes uh, Abagnale is, is honest with is Hanratty, but he's such a liar, Hanratty can't even believe him, you know? Uh, but Hanratty is 100% on the up and up with him the entire time, you know? Like, I love the scene that takes place on Christmas again. It's kind of a Christmas movie, really. Uh, yeah. It takes place on Christmas again in France. <laughs> Appropriately <laughs> enough, this this episode comes out just before Christmas. Well, there, perfect. 
in France when Hanratty finally catches up with him. And he, at this point, he's got like, I don't even know what the hell he's doing. He's got like a printing press, like a newspaper style printing press in there. He's dedicated to clanging on it with hammers. <laughs> he's all covered in grease. He's like, like running these checks. Like he's got like an industrial check printing situation going here in France. And, and Hanratty comes in uh, and steps in and, and like says, they're all out there. They're all outside. They're all waiting for you. And, and, and Abagnale can't get past the idea like he's being conned. Like he's just kind of like it's just him. It's just him. Liars will not believe people who tell the truth. Right. And then, of course, as usual, Hanratty is telling the truth. They are all out there. They really would have shot him if he tried to leave. And uh, and and I'd, I'd forgotten about his last escape at the, at the airport. I'd forgotten all about that, like the way he dips out of the plane uh, when they get him. Oh, yes. <laughs> the guy is just slippery, man. He's just a. Well, and then, like, he's like, when Tom Hanks is in there and he lifts the lid of the thing after the screws are out, and he's like, Frank! And he starts sliding <laughs> down it. Frank! That was pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd really a, a cool relationship and it made me think a lot about like the fact that Hanratty was after him and he was taking him down because it was his job but there was no malice in it right like he he came to grudgingly respect and then maybe even like Frank well and he's a kid right a he kid. knows that this is this kid's 17 maybe 18 by the time they catch him and he's like he has mercy on him and he's like he under, like I thought he was 19 by the time they caught him. Maybe that was it. Well, he talked about being tried as a in the movie they talked about him being tried as a minor um which is denied, but he uh you know, he just kind of realizes that this is a lonely kid who's going through some stuff and he he does try to do right by him, you know, even like there is no malice. Like you said, it, there is a respect there. Yeah. Even to the point where he comes and visits him in prison on Christmas. Like he keeps up the Christmas tradition after, you know, after it's become unnecessary. Right. And, uh, partially maybe because he knows that Abagnale doesn't have anybody else. And because he also doesn't have anybody else. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's on his own in the world too. And, uh, so yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting about how they have this adversarial uh, relationship, but it is not necessarily an angry or or you know, I don't know. There's there's no malice between them at all. Like from Abagnale either. Like he's he's not he's never yeah. he's never mad at uh, at Hanratty. Like even after Hanratty catches him, he's not mad about. It. He's just like. Put me in the car, you Frank. Me. You got me. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, like they they never, and that's what kind of makes the movie so refreshing. And then the fact that that eventually this adversary becomes an ally, right? Like, uh, Hanratty is more or less an authority figure that's actually looking out for him, even though he's trying to catch him. You know, it's in his own best interest in the long run. He keeps him from being killed. He rescues him from prison. You know, he extradites him to the U.S. so he can be in a better in a better jail. You know. Uh, and then eventually he gets him freed from jail so he can work for the FBI. It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's cool. And it's kind of like weirdly uplifting in its own strange way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It just, uh, it's a fun romp, I, I would say from beginning to end. I, and this is one of those times, sometimes when it's time for me to watch the movie, I'm like, uh, I really want to watch this. Like, and I put it on. And it immediately, I, I guess we talk about the score from John Williams kicks in another iconic one. I mean, it's not on the level of Jurassic Park, Star Wars, those sorts of things, but it's a really strong score from John Williams. Um, and I'm back in. And the opening credits remind me of like a Saul Bass opening credits from uh, Hitchcock's catalog. 100%. I, w- I made a note. That was my first note that I had to talk about was the opening credits because it, it super feels like a I, 60s I got, film, you know? Yeah. I got like Pink Panther yeah, vibes. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, same. It's kind of all that together. If you go and watch like the opening credits to Psycho or North by Northwest, I think there's a little bit of that there too. Um, just to tie in my Hitchcock pedigree. 
and and unlike some other recent films that we've talked about, I never felt like this score was intrusive or over the top. Like it always yep. was like right on point, right where it needed to be. It never like called obvious attention to itself. It never like punched you in the neck with now feel this emotion, bitch. You know, like it was yeah. it was like right right <laughs> where it needed to be. And, it, and that theme, they use the theme at various points in the movie because the theme has that sort of suspense uh spy element to it so when he's the when he's going into that hotel room uh to confront frank for the first time that play in that score and it just fits so i think it's it's a really excellent one yeah yeah and and and, you know it it, i just want to talk about again like we talked about a little bit at the beginning like it is a fun romp right but there's a lot of other psychological stuff going on here underneath the surface, right? Like, like what his motivations are and, uh, you know, like the scene, the scene where he comes home from school that, that like why he goes around the run in the first place. Like he comes home from school. He discovers that his mom is having an affair. She tries to like pay him off with 10 bucks to not tell the dad. That's a great scene because she is so immediately defensive. Yeah. And it just like, just like a knife in the heart kind of twisting, you know? And then the next time he comes home from school, there's a guy in the house and it turns out that he's like the divorce guy, like her mom, his mom's lawyer or whatever. His mom's packing up and they ask him to, take the paper into the other room and write a name on it, his mom or his dad, who he's going to live with. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been in that situation. I have been in that situation. I was about that age when I was in that situation. And it is a shit show. Like, like, so watching this for me was, you know, like, Oh yeah, like fuck you get out of there, dude. Like <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I I immediately felt that, you know, and uh it wasn't like my situation was wasn't as dramatic as like this like go sign this piece of paper right now, but it was close, you know? Like it came down to you have a decision to make, you've got like one day to make it, you know. And uh and I I didn't go on the run and start uh, running cons. Why not? I did end up by myself, though. Like, like I finished high school kind of on my own. Um, my mom went out to California. I grew up in Ohio. My mom went out to California. My dad moved to Indiana, and I stayed in the family house and, and lived on my own for the rest of high school. So, like, I and started working and, you know drank way too much and way too many parties barely skated by by the skin of my teeth was broke survived on zesta crackers and spaghetti sauce you know like just like it was a shit show you know like like it was a shit show and so like in a lot of ways i really related to this idea of cut and run and do what you got to do to survive because like the situation is untenable you know like being forced into making that choice is uh damaging you know um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I liked that. And I, I loved that he, like you said, kept this fantasy of his family alive, you know, like he, he basically like kept coming back and like trying to encourage his dad to go see his mom, like not even stopping for a minute to think like this, this ship has sailed, like it is over, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but he keeps like, Hey, you talk to mom, you talk to mom, you can take this Cadillac and go drive over there. You know, I'm I gonna... got your tickets. You go get her, tell her to get dressed up. We're going to wherever. We're going to get it all back. We're going to get it all back. And it's just such a, a kid like thing to do, you know, like it never loses touch with the idea that he's just a scared and lonely kid like when he calls Hanratty and just asks him to stop like will you please will yeah. you please stop chasing me like like it's such a kid thing to do i'll like, stop and you could stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> like well, we'll just call it off you know and and let's make a deal and uh it's it's funny it's just it's it's interesting and it gives some serious depth to the film where like i said it could have just been just a fun romp and it's it's yeah. not, you know, there's more to it. There's more depth to this film that you can really uh dig your teeth into and, and pull some some stuff out. So yeah, it's it's a great movie. It really is. Did you have any questions? No, I did not. I couldn't like Okay. There's there's <laughs> like there's really not much that's left, you know, like would you sleep with Jennifer Garner in the hotel? <laughs> like 
Yeah. For free? You took half, Not only for free, but to, to get, get paid, paid $400 yeah. to do it? Yeah, so no, I didn't really come up with any questions because like so many things in this movie are just cut and dry. You know, like it yeah. just is what it is and it happens. And, uh, you know, like the, there, there's not a ton of interpretation left um, about it. So no, I, I did not. Okay. Well, Scott, final thoughts? Hmm. No, I mean, it, it is a great movie. It's solid all around. Like the acting by DiCaprio, like it really set the stage for me. And like I said in the beginning, it made me change my view on the actor. And since then, I've been able to watch more of his films and actually enjoy a lot of them because of it. So let me ask you, uh, so Eric, probably doesn't know this but years ago i had a podcast called film soliloquy scott was on that and there were some certain rules around that podcast where you would exchange a film and then you had to live with the result of so let's say you gave me one of your favorite movies and i just hated it and said it was an f you would just have to tell people that you thought it was an f too that was kind of the rule around that, it right that's fun so we give scott John Wick, right? And he comes on. Well, real quick. He's so bitter about I'm this. I'm still bitter. But uh, what would you, if you had to give a letter grade, like you were in school, to John Wick, what would you give the original John Wick? Ooh. A minus, maybe? B plus? Okay. Like, it's okay. a tie. We're good. Tie. That could have backfired big tie. So Scott gets <laughs> that on. That would funny if it had. Can't figure it out. <laughs> Who's married to who? It gives John Wick a C plus. <laughs> we were so angry. Anyway, I bring that up to say, Scott, please give Catch Me If You Can a letter grade. Oh, it's a solid A. A. I can get behind that. I, I agree. I, I think this is one of his best films. It's so entertaining. It's so entertaining. There is no lull. It's great. It is like I read um, a lot of a lot of stuff about this movie leading into this conversation, and like the thing the thing that you keep coming across is this is not major Spielberg. This is minor Spielberg, and I don't think that's fair. You know, like like I, I certainly would put this in the top fifty percent of the films we've watched so far, easily. Yeah, and so to me that kind of makes it a little more major Spielberg I think people when they think of like major or minor they think of like major is like Jaws and E.T. and like the big blockbusters and so on and I think this runs with those films though I, I think it does I think the fact that it's a little quieter and it's not as it's not as showy right yeah but it's a very entertaining film and I would certainly pick it over a lot of other Spielberg films if you know if we were doing the you know you gotta pick one test you know, like this definitely. Oh, it's he, this one's going to top a lot of movies as far as picking one. Um, so yeah, I definitely would uh, put this above a lot of them. So yeah, absolutely. All right, well, um, Scott, what uh, socials or anything you want to share before we close out? Nah, I'm going to skip that this time, just because we're on a little bit of a hiatus with our podcast. Okay, no worries. Um, but I'll throw some stuff in the links in the description. Of course, you can find Eric at GamingNexus.com, uh, where you can check out his reviews of video games, uh, his YouTube channel, Eric Hotter, Eric underscore Hotter on Twitter. You can find me at Podcast by Jeff and my other podcast, The Movie Draft House, if you want more movie reviews. Um, next uh, episode is going to be Terminal uh, with Tom Hanks again. So we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you soon.